0: From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. Today is the fourth of a four-part series on Israel-Palestine. My guest today is Rabbi Brandt Rosen. He is a congregational rabbi in Evanston, Illinois. His blog is shalom rav at rabbibrandt.com. And his blog explores the intersection between Judaism and social justice, with a particular emphasis on Israel Palestine. His book uh, is a collection of blog posts called Wrestling in the Daylight A Rabbi's Path to Palestinian Solidarity. Uh, welcome, Rabbi, to Religion for Life.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, tell me a little bit about your book, uh, "Wrestling in the Daylight." Uh, about the title and how this book came to be.
1: Sure. Well, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, I had been writing a blog uh, for uh, some time, uh, and I really decided uh, there was a a period of time in, in my blog posts and the conversation, the comments that to my blog posts that were really quite fascinating, really quite remarkable. And uh, I always thought there might be a book, uh, some kind of book in there, in in a sort of a small snapshot of a period of time in which my own thinking and relationship to Israel and Palestine had shifted pretty significantly and um, uh, had given rise to many, many uh, comments uh, in response to to the posts that I was making. And I I think the, the book really charts my own evolution on this issue and the conversations I had with many of my readers, uh, people, members of my congregation, but also just readers at large in the blogosphere, uh, really fascinating conversations. And in some ways, I think the conversations were, uh, as interesting, if not more interesting than the posts that I was, uh, that I was writing. Um, the, uh, the, the blog itself started, I started writing it in, 19, uh, in 2006, I believe, and it really I really wrote about anything and everything around that time. Uh, but over time, I really started to focus more more steadily on social justice issues and Israel-Palestine in particular. Uh, and uh, so it really became a way of charting my own, in, a, in, a, in sort of an out loud way, my own feelings, uh, often very anguished feelings about what was going on. I entitled the book Wrestling in the Daylight <clears throat> using, uh, it's, a, it's a reference to uh, passages from the book of Genesis, very, very classic, well-known passages of, uh, that uh, describe Jacob's wrestling with the mysterious night stranger on the bank of a river. Mm-hmm. And uh, it mentions in the Torah, in the book of Genesis, that uh, the, uh, the mysterious person, whether it was an angel or whoever this uh, this night wrestler was uh, at one point says uh, let me go for daylight is breaking and I I take from that that many of us I think most of us do our own most serious wrestling our most serious struggles tend to be private we tend to keep them to ourselves and uh, for me I decided to wrestle in the daylight in other words I decided to take my struggle with this very very difficult uh, and often very incendiary uh, issue uh, out loud through the medium of the internet, sort of the radical transparency of the internet, and uh, it was a very big risk. I took a very real chance, uh, not least of which was because I'm a congregational rabbi, and um, and airing your true feelings about such things, I think, carry a very real professional uh, consequence. And, uh, but it was something I decided to do, and I was very heartened by the response. Uh, not necessarily that everybody agreed with me. Um, and in, in my book, I'm sure you, you've read my book, so you know there are many people who I've included, uh, who commented, who who uh, voiced some, uh, who took great exception to many of the things I I, I wrote and said. Uh, and I wanted to uh, include those those. Uh, comments as part of the conversation as well. I mean, there are many members of my congregation who don't agree with the things I say and do on this issue, on Israel-Palestine, and other issues as well. Uh, but that I can still uh, do this work and uh, treat my activism as a uh, as an act of conscience on my part, and be respected for that, regardless of people specifically agree with me or not, I find to be a very hardening thing.
0: And you um, wrote this, uh, the blog posts from this book are from a period of 2008 to 2010. The book was written in 2012. Now it's 2014. And, and you are still rabbi of your congregation.
1: Yes, I'm still rabbi of the congregation. It doesn't mean that um, my activism and my writing uh, on this issue isn't difficult for some members of my congregation, um, But uh, and I certainly don't pretend to speak for my congregation or write for my congregation whenever I... Uh, do this work or do this writing, uh, but I'm very blessed. I have a congregation that really understands that uh, the job of a, of a clergy, the job of a rabbi is to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable, you know, that, 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 that my work is two sides of that same coin, that they know I'm there for them as individuals, but uh, I also am a, uh, I have a prophetic role as well, which is speaking my conscience on issues that matter in the world. And uh, as difficult as that may be, I think the leadership of of my congregation has consistently understood that and supported my right and, in some ways, my responsibility to speak my conscience.
0: And your conscience um, uh, called you to speak uh, quite publicly um, over, over the issue of, of, of Gaza in 2008.
1: Right. That was sort of the, a, uh, a major turning point for me. And uh, there was a blog post I wrote in December of 2008 in response to the onset of uh, Operation Cast Lead, in Israel, uh, Israel's name for its military operations in Gaza, which, um, when I first heard the news coming out of Gaza, just left me in very deep anguish. And it was, looking back, it, was, it didn't just start there. There was um, many turning points along the way that led to that moment for me. But this was just a moment where uh, I read these reports, I was just um, filled with anguish to my very core and felt that I couldn't continue to rationalize or explain away what Israel was doing to Palestinians. And I saw this as an outrage. I saw these as war crimes. Uh, I saw this conflict as not uh, a balanced situation by any by any stretch. And I think too often, many of us in the Jewish community, uh, we sort of Frame the issue as well. We have these two sides who have an equal claim on the same piece of land. And um, that, I think, finally, I was able to really face the truth uh, as I see it, which is that uh, this is not a, a, an equitable conflict per se. This is the situation of one immensely more powerful, militarily powerful side uh, against uh, another uh, disempowered side that it has been oppressing for decades, quite frankly. And um, I Gaza and Operation Lead finally um, caused me to to recognize that full-on. And so I wrote a, a short and not particularly eloquent blog post about my feelings about what was going on. And that was really my my first foray into wrestling in the daylight. Um, that was that blog post uh, got, oh, I think, over one hundred and fifty comments, which was much more than I'd ever gotten uh, before or or maybe even since. And um, you know, at the time, it was just a, sort of a, a call of anguish, and I wasn't really sure what I was, where I was going with it, other than to just sort of speak my truth as I as I saw it. But that set me on a it set me on a path, and uh, it uh, once Operation Castle, I, I became a, uh, an active uh, advocate of, of, of Jewish voice of protest and. Uh, I wasn't the only one. There were a few of us, not many of us, but a few of us in the organized Jewish community who were standing with Palestinians uh, in solidarity with Palestinians during Operation Cast which led through uh, January of 2009. Uh, but once that happened, as I, I call it in the book, the dominoes began to fall, and I started taking on other issues as well, uh, other issues of human rights abuse in Israel-Palestine. And I documented all of the, the activism I was involved in, and really over that two-year period between 2008 and 2010, was a period of great internal evolution for me. And uh, I I had long thought that uh, after that was over that that little window would have been a really fascinating uh, opportunity for a a potential book. And so that's how the the book came to be.
0: It is a fascinating book, and I learned a lot uh, uh, from a wide variety of viewpoints by reading the comments and, uh, of course, uh, reading your insights through it all. And and in the end, you say that your, your role as a rabbi is to stand in solidarity with the Palestinians. What does that mean?
1: Well, it means I stand in solidarity with all who are oppressed, and I believe that that is an imperative, a sacred imperative that comes from my tradition. Uh, I think a large part of what it means to be a Jew, let alone a, a human being of conscience, is to speak out where there is oppression and to stand with the oppressed and to call out the oppressor. And... Uh, I think Jews have a time-honored uh, history of of uh, behaving in just that way. Uh, I think we uh, are will often uh, mention the, the Jewish involvement in the civil rights movement in this country, for instance, or the Jewish involvement in the anti-apartheid movement. Um, and I think it beca- it's very, very painful when it comes to Israel-Palestine. But I do believe that in Israel-Palestine, as I said before, we're not looking at a uh, a clash of nationalisms and a, and a balanced uh, a balanced conflict. I think we are looking at a situation, quite frankly, where there is an oppressor and there is oppressed. And it gives me great pain to even say that, uh, because I say that knowing that my mm-hmm. people are on, are on the side of, uh, side of the oppressor. But uh, ultimately, I, uh, I do believe that my, my tradition uh, demands that I stand with Palestinians. I think it's the most Jewish thing I can do, quite frankly. Uh, and I, I reject the notion that, um, uh, that ethnic solidarity or tribal solidarity should trump, uh, human rights and, uh, and equality and, uh, and the most basic imperatives of my tradition. So that's what I mean when I say I stand in solidarity with, with Palestinians. It doesn't mean I don't stand with Jews or I don't stand with Israelis. It means that I, I, that God is the God of God for the oppressed and, uh, the most basic thing I can do as a Jew is
0: to stand with Palestinians. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Rabbi Brant Rosen, author of Wrestling in the Daylight, A Rabbi's Path to Palestinian Solidarity. And one of the ways, concretely, um, that I understand that you're standing with the Palestinians is through the Boycott, Divestment, Sanctions movement. Um, can you talk about that, what that is, and um, and what your relationship to that is?
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, BDS boycott, divestment, and sanctions was a uh, call that came from an overwhelmingly uh, the overwhelming majority of of, uh, Palestinian civil society organizations in 2005, and it was uh, a call that was issued out of I think a frustration with the inability of the political powers that be to come to an equitable uh, resolution of this crisis, Uh, and uh, I think it came from a desire for a popular movement. In other words not uh, only allowing the political elites to be the ones to uh, determine the course of these negotiations, but rather to exert real pressure and real leverage on the the political dimensions of the situation through uh, popular action. And, uh, you know, boycott divestment and sanctions have long been uh, time-honored ways for for popular movements to exert leverage to, to create change, to create just change. And so uh, we saw a similar kind of movement uh, in, with apartheid South Africa. Um, uh, boycott and divestment was uh, a very real part of the civil rights struggle in this country. And it is, a, a, in its very essence, a, a, a very essential form of nonviolent uh, action to promote uh, just and lasting change. And so the call came from uh, a large section of is Palestinian uh, civil society for uh, for boycott divestment and sanctions in other words, boycotting uh, uh, products that are, uh, are complicit in the occupation and the oppression of Palestinians divesting from companies that profit from it and sanctions meaning uh, encouraging governments to to levy sanctions if Israel will not comply with international law and uh, I think since that time we've we've seen uh, this movement grow by leaps and bounds uh, throughout Europe and the United States, and it's gaining many inherent, uh, inherent adherents, not only Palestinian, obviously, but, but in, in many cases uh, young Jews as well. In particular, uh, the BDS call has three essential uh, three essential goals. And if you go to the BDS National Committee website, you can you can see these things spelled out. But it's basically an end uh, to the occupation and a dismantling of the wall. The second is full and equal rights for Palestinian citizens of Israel. And the third is a recognition and a protection of the Palestinian right of return.
0: Now, there has been criticism of this movement. Uh, in fact, the, the connection here is uh, I'm a Presbyterian minister and actually a delegate to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church this summer, and the BDS movement is uh, coming b- before uh, the Presbyterian General Assembly in some form. And in, in response to that, we have uh, the Israel-Palestine Mission Network, an organization of the Presbyterian Church USA, which speaks to the church, not for the church, but they produced a, a document called Zionism Unsettled, Uh, an approach of looking at the the history and the ideology or the theology and the political ideology of Zionism. And um, I'm wondering uh, if—and you are a participant uh, uh, in that study guide. Uh, Can you give us an evaluation of that study guide, Zionism Unsettled, and and what criticisms you might have have of it as well?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, Zionism Unsettled was, as you put it, a a study guide that was put together by the uh, IPMN, And uh, it is uh, a distillation of an anthology that's going to be coming out this summer uh, of many uh, different writers, uh, Christian, Jewish, and Palestinian, uh, dealing with the issue of of Zionism and and the role of Zionism in the conflict. In other words, not looking at it uh, from a a uniquely political point of view, but rather understanding how the ideology of Zionism and by, by Zionism, I don't just mean Jewish Zionism. There's also Christian Zionism. Mm-hmm. In fact, Christian Zionism is as old as Jewish Zionism. And uh, I, I believe the IPMN was, was interested in helping the Christian brothers and sisters understand the roots of Zionism, not just as a Jewish movement, but as a Christian movement, and how in many ways uh, the the role of Christian Zionism uh, plays a very uh, a very real part in the politics of what's going on. In Israel, Palestine, as well. So, uh, I contributed a, an essay to this anthology, and so uh, my essay was distilled and included in the uh, in the work "Zionism Unsettled." Um, I think that it is uh, an important work in many ways. I don't think it's a perfect work. I think um, it was uh, put together very quickly, and I think um, that shows in certain aspects of of the work. Uh, in particular, there's a chapter on uh, the role of Islam that I think is probably the weakest part of the guide. Uh, I, I think the strongest part of the guide, uh, quite frankly, is the the willingness of of uh, the authors to really call out religious exceptionalism uh, in Judaism and Christianity, and really seeing religious ex- exceptionalism, in other words, uh, the, the the triumphalist attitude of one religion as being as as having a monopoly on on divine truth and, um, and a lack of recognition of other religions as, as, as having validity. Um, and often religious exceptionism goes hand in hand with empire, that when you fuse religion and empire, you often see religion, uh, you almost always see religion wielded as a weapon against the less powerful. Uh, and so I think there was a very real willingness to crit, uh, to be critical of those, the darker aspects of our religious traditions. And I, I don't think the, the, uh, chapter on Islam um, used the, uh, as as critical of pedagogy. It was as willing to to criticize some of the uh, more exceptionalist uh, aspects of, of radical Islam. Uh, and so that is a criticism that's levied toward Zionism Unsettled that I think is, is quite valid. However, most of the criticism of the study guide, I think, that I'm, I'm hearing both from the Jewish or organized establishment community and um, from many Presbyterians and members of the Protestant community, who see themselves as aligned with the Jewish establishment. I think these criticisms have been, quite frankly, they've been hysterical and over-the-top. Um, I've heard them. I've heard it compared to the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. I've heard mm-hmm. it described as anti-Semitic. I've heard it described as uh, as supersessionist and um, undoing decades of, Ju- of uh, Jewish-Christian dialogue. And I... I Quite frankly, I, it's, I'm, I can't even believe these, the people who are writing these criticisms are reading the same study guide that I've read. Um, I find it to be, um, um, not without its flaws, but by and large, a very important and a very gutsy work that is willing to look at the role of religious ideology in this conflict. It's not a primarily re- uh, religious conflict, but you cannot divorce the politics from the use of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is wielded by Zionists, Jewish and Christian, religious and secular, uh, in uh, in very real ways. And I think we need to unpack that, the, the role of uh, the Bible, and in particular the parts of the Bible that express an entitlement to the land, uh, and uh, that express uh, the unique right of one particular people to this land over others. Uh, this, uh, to my mind, is uh, a theologically and politically, very problematic. And we need to shine a light on it, as difficult as it is. And we need to find a hermeneutic that allows us to read these uh, these texts in, in, in keeping with 21st century understandings of human rights and indigenous rights uh, and civil rights uh, for all who live in the land, regardless of what religion or ethnicity they belong to.
0: Can you tell me, what is the relationship between Zionism and Judaism?
1: Zionism is a political movement that arose in the 19th century uh, that was influenced by European nationalism and uh, sought to create a Jewish nationalist movement that was similar to many of the other European nationalisms that were springing up uh, and had been up until that time. Uh, and it drew upon uh, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish uh, desire to return to Zion as uh, as its inspiration, but it politicized that desire. And it's important to keep in mind that for centuries, up until that point, uh, the Jewish connection to the land of Israel was a symbolic connection. Uh, and in fact, uh, over and over and over again in Jewish tradition, you hear uh, the rabbis saying that uh, the uh, third Jewish Commonwealth will only be established when the Messiah comes. So, in other words, the the, the notion of a of a Jewish present political presence in the land uh, was was projected into a far-off Messianic future. It was a, a spiritual vision, not a political vision. And in fact, the rabbis uh, were, were uh, very um, uh, force, forcefully uh, advocated against any kind of Messianic or, or, or proto-Messianic or, or political movements that tried to uh, uh, create a Jewish state in, in uh, the historic land of Israel. Uh, so Zionism, in many ways, was a rejection of Judaism uh, up until that point. It was uh, a rejection of a diaspora-based uh, Jewish identity, which had been normative for Jews for, uh, for throughout Jewish history. And it was uh, a, a radical uh, shift in, in determining what it meant to be Jewish. And uh, what has happened is that since the Holocaust, uh, Zionism has... Uh, become, in the eyes of many Jews, uh, synonymous with Judaism itself, which I think is personally profoundly problematic. Uh, they're not the same thing. You can't equate a centuries-old diaspora-based religion with a modern political movement. Uh, those are two very different things. They may be the same um, in the eyes of certain individuals, uh, but uh, I think it's it's very, very problematic uh, when you conflate a political movement and a religious movement, not least because I think we've seen throughout uh, history, not a, uh, with other religions, that when um, we combine nation statism with religion, um, we often uh, find that are very, very dark and disturbing things done in the name of those religions.
0: Rabbi Brandt Rosen, my guest on Religion for Life, author of *Wrestling in the Daylight: A Rabbi's Path to Palestinian Solidarity*. We just have a few minutes left, but I do want you to address this question: um, What are the possibilities uh, for Israel as a democracy, um, as as well as a Jewish state?
1: Well, you know, for most of my adult life, I've been, uh, I would. Someone I would call a, a liberal Zionist. And um, many liberal Zionists uh, have said for a long, long time that the uh, the window of opportunity for an equitable solution, uh, in the case of liberal Zionism, that means a two-state solution uh, is fast closing. And you've heard you've heard that for for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, every new iteration of the peace process, you hear that this is our last chance. The window is closing. Um, I'm someone who believes that the window that window is closed. Uh, And uh, if you go to the West Bank in Israel and you see the facts on the ground, you see what Israel is doing, um, I'm convinced there's already a one-state reality. I don't think, you know, as the Palestinian academic Rashid Khalidi says, that you can unscramble that egg. Um, If you look at the, the roads that lead Uh, the the Israeli roads that lead from Israel proper uh, into the West Bank and that that, uh, lead to the the Israeli settlements. If you look at the growth of the settlements that continue now, even though supposedly there's a peace process going on, if you look at the the allocation of resources and uh, a city like Ariel, for instance, which is in the north of of the West Bank, which is referred to as a settlement, but it it is by every other definition a large city, which sits right on top of the uh, largest and most important uh, aquifer uh, water source in the West Bank, uh, Israel is not going to withdraw from these places. It's it's clear. And the kind of a two-state solution that's being uh, proposed in the current iteration, as in previous iterations, is is, is profoundly inequitable. Um, what's being offered to Palestinians doesn't, re- I, I think, resemble any state that you or I or anyone has ever ever seen throughout history. Uh, we're really talking about, about uh, legislating an inequity. So I think, quite frankly, I think, where are we now? I think we're at a, a place where we're already living in a one-state reality, and the real question is not one state versus two state I, I personally think the qu- real question is what kind of a state will it be? Will it be a, a, a an apartheid state where Jewish rights are valued over non-Jewish, or will it be a state of all its citizens where the the national rights and the self determination of all can be uh, respected, and that's really the the question that we're facing now. And I dare say, if you ask most American Jews this question, which I don't think is such a hypothetical question, which state would you prefer, uh, an apartheid Jewish state or a uh, a state a democratic state for all? I think the overwhelming majority of Jews would say uh, would opt for the second. To me, that's a no brainer. Um, and I think uh, if and when this next peace process collapses uh, under, uh, under the weight of its uh, own uh, inequity, um, we're going to have to face a real reckoning about um, how are we going to create a situation, whether it's one state or two state or 50 states, that uh, comes up with uh, a solution that allows equal rights, full equal rights and civil rights and democracy for everybody who lives in that land, regardless of
0: what their religion or ethnicity is. We just have about a minute left. Brant, can you give me an idea of uh, signs signs of hope uh, that you have for an equitable solution?
1: You know, uh, we were talking about BDS before, and I quite frankly find a great deal of hope in this movement. That's uh, that is growing and um, gaining in strength and gaining adherence, and uh, is uh, attracting, especially uh, a younger generation. As I mentioned, uh, many many young Jews who do this not out of a desire to destroy Israel, but out of a, a very Jewish desire to uh, to create uh, uh, an equitable future for all who live in the land. And it's an amazing movement, uh, and it's, it's growing very quickly. It's gaining strength very quickly. I'm proud to be a part of it, and I, I see that as a very real sign of hope.
0: Brant Rosen, my guest on Religion for Life, author of Wrestling in the Daylight, A Rabbi's Path to Palestinian Solidarity. It's based on his blog, ShalomRav, at RabbiBrant.com. Brant, thank you so much for your work and for being with me today on Religion for Life.
1: My pleasure, John. Thank you for having me.
0: That concludes my four-part series on Israel-Palestine. I wish to thank my guests, Rachel Fish of the Schusterman Center for Israel Studies at Brandeis University, Rabbi Brant Rosen of Jewish Voices for Peace, and Jonathan Kutab of Bethlehem Bible College. You heard very different perspectives regarding Zionism and the situation in Israel-Palestine. My guests spoke for themselves. You now can make up your own mind. This series is for commissioners of the Presbyterian Church as well as anyone seeking to learn more about Israel-Palestine. For more information about Religion for Life, including links to podcasts and all of these shows are on podcast, you can go to religionforlife.com. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Sheck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee and WEHC-FM in Emory, Virginia. Be well.